Welcome to Bickering Peaks with your hosts, Aiden and Lindsay. Aiden, are you ready to be on the path to the Black Lodge? Yes. Is that the right answer? <laughs> I don't think you have a choice okay. because we're doing this we're episode. We're going then, yes. We're going. We're on the road. We're on the road. On the path? On the path. On the path to the Black Lodge. That is the name of the episode. That is the name of the episode. It is season two, episode 20. We are three episodes from the end of the series. Yes. I'm getting a little bit sad. I'm, I'm not, not going to lie. You're I'm not? Because I am excited for no. season three. Okay, that yes, means we absolutely. Are closer every day. But I, I feel like for the longest time, this was it. Like, this was all we had. So every time I watch these last episodes, I get a little bit sad. Yeah, that's fair. Plus, I mean, season three is going to be confusing. At least yeah. I kind of know what's going on right now. Well, you think. We think. Yeah, for the most part. For the most we're part. probably wrong. Potentially, but... For now, it's enjoyable while while we're in a blissful state of ignorance. So yes, exactly. Do you have the details for this episode? I do. Okay. So uh, it was written by Harley Payton and Robert Engels, directed by Stephen Gyllenhaal. It aired on April nineteenth, nineteen ninety one. This was the last episode to be aired as part of ABC's regular lineup in its Thursday night time slot. Um, the series was pulled from the schedule for May sweeps and was returned on June 10th for the final two episodes, which were aired back-to-back as kind of a, a finale movie, I guess. Yes. And uh, and this was announced on our Blu-ray. We yeah. had the little special announcement at the end of the episode from Lucy saying that, that the show would be back on June 10th, which that's almost a two-month gap again. Yeah. So um, it's a, kind of a disappointing end for a show Especially with this episode, which we thought was yeah one of the better ones, pretty good. Yeah, we thought yeah it really hit some hit some high points. There yeah. were some lows still, some of the dead weight, but most of it got jettisoned this episode. I yeah. feel like they've really set themselves up for uh, the finale, which is as we've mentioned many times, quite strong. So. Yeah. Uh, so and this episode takes place on Friday night, March twenty fourth, uh, through to the early morning hours of Saturday, March twenty fifth, and uh, it was interesting to. To me, anyway, I don't know if you noticed it, but we've stuck to this one day per episode kind of conceit for mm-hmm. for most of the series run, with the exception of the three day uh, window window where yeah. uh, in between Leland's death and his funeral or his wake or whatever. Um, but it feels lately like they've crammed so much into the episodes, and maybe that's part of that dead weight you were talking about that they, like you said, they've jettisoned it now. Um, but it feels like things like. Audrey's romance with Jack or Cooper's romance with Annie or like these things are so condensed into such a short period of time and it almost feels like the writers maybe forgot or didn't care so much that these things were supposed to only take place in a day like it's really only been four days since Audrey and and John Justice Wheeler met but it it took all the bad really like uh, immersion breaking stuff of soap operas which is that people fall in love in a day right and they wear the same clothes for 16 weeks right, <laughs> of, right. of film time, right? So, yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, I, I agree. I, I feel like it's just been... Everything's been jam-packed. They've been like, oh, we got to get a love story. They'll fall in love in three yeah. days, you know? It, 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 but it feels kind of absurd in a it way. It does, right? yeah. Especially but, in yeah. this episode where it, where it kind of yeah, comes is, to a head. Yeah, for a lot of things. So. But, uh, yeah. but, yeah, anyway, um, ostensibly, this is still a day at a time. Yeah. And we, we are now approaching... Um, the big final event, which inexplicably is a beauty pageant. Yeah. Just happening. Of all things. Yeah, yeah, of all things. People are still entering it the day before. So some beauty pageant. <laughs> well, didn't they have like an application deadline whenever all the girls 
yeah, arrived so. at one point, and that so. was when the mayor first kind of gave yeah. Lana the heads up or whatever. But in this episode, we've got two characters entering it yeah, very late. Before. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it, it pedantic. Yeah, let's not think let's, about that. Yeah, no, seriously. Uh, so before we go any further, we mm-hmm. of course have to do the German. Yes. Oh, uh, right. We have it here. It is der Wigser Schwarzenhuta. Actually, hey, that sounds pretty good. Well, let's test. Der Weg zur schwarzen Hütte. But it actually, the English translation translates into the road to the black hut. Yeah. According to Google. Yeah. Black so, Lodge, black hut. Yeah. Same diff, apparently. Uh, yeah. Maybe I guess, it's, yeah, it's, they probably don't it's have probably too many. synonymous. If you looked yeah. in a German thesaurus. Yeah. Hut and lodge are the exact same. Translation. Do they have into, thesauri in other languages? Thesauruses? Yeah. No, Lindsay. Well, I don't know. Well, English so, has so many we words. Do have, we do have a lot of synonyms. Yeah. Way more than most languages. That's but what I'm other, asking. Other languages have them, too. Okay, but they wouldn't be nearly as vast as ours. No, because we, you know, rip off everything we can. Um, the history of English. Sorry, quick question. Stephen yep. Gyllenhaal directed... Had he directed a previous one? Yeah, because I thought it was a well-directed episode. Um, and there were some genuinely almost creepy moments, which is something the series had long, long forgotten since basically the last David Lynch episode, there hadn't been anything actually scary that appeared on on camera, really. We got, you know, a few... Even when Josie died and uh, the little man from another place and Bob appeared, it was very kind of just tacked on at the end. It didn't, right. it didn't feel natural, and it didn't feel creepy at all. It felt like, oh, now there's another supernatural tie-in, I guess. Here she is in a drawer pull. Like, th- this one... Again, it actually revolves around Josie, the the moment that I'm thinking of, and we'll get to it soon. Um, but yeah, I thought it was it had some genuinely creepy moments. Plus, uh, Wyndham Earl's genuinely frightening in this episode. Yeah, he kind of takes that, balances that line between, or balances on that line between, kind of really menacing and kind of cartoonish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm thinking of the the horse costume. Yes, but but even that is is well, it's, interesting, it's, and it's the way it's filmed even is like. It's just there's this weird horse costume in the middle of the forest, yeah. and it's it's creepy. It feels like Lynchian. Yeah, it does. It, it does. That's, it that's what that I feel. was. That's what I was going to say. Is that um, this is Stephen Gyllenhaal's only? Oh, it is his only episode. His okay. only episode, but he, I kind of forgot how good it was in that sense because it does feel very. It, there's a lot of really Lynch type moments that come up, long shots and. Yeah. Um, long holds on things like mm-hmm. holding on certain scenes um, and some directorial choices like the horse in the woods and yeah. stuff which I mean some of that is is in the script in a lot of cases but some of the stuff apparently uh, Stephen Gyllenhaal was quite a fan of improvisation oh. so he would let the actors kind of roll with whatever was happening okay. so there are th- this episode as written is very different from what you Appear see it's probably screen. I think um in reading John Thorne's book, The Essential Wrapped in Plastic, I think he said it was the most changed from oh, really? all the the season two episodes. Well, except for probably the last episode, he, which we'll right. get to eventually, but yeah. that one was also Significantly more in the hands altered, of the director. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It was, and it, 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 it's a strong showing. Um, in just a weird tieback, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's father, yes? Yes. Uh, there, This one actually felt like Donnie Darko at times, especially ah, the, the bunny and the... The, the horse. horse like just a weird little connection there but it coincidental it, it, i don't yeah, think no, it is. had anything to do with johnny darko i don't think so either i've only seen that movie once i know but it's really it haunting really right scary, like yeah. it's it's such a good visual yeah 
masterpiece really yeah for screwing with your brain so so yeah, this, very yeah. much in the vein yeah, of exactly. david lynch yeah but. so it worked out well so yes uh the log lady the log lady the log lady uh one spends, of the briefer introductions yes, it was very, very short it? yes um she spends the entire time talking about clues and how we interpret the clues that we see around us and sometimes the puzzle maker is very clever and can obscure the meaning of what the clues actually mean, right? From the view or the interpretation of the player. But then she said that the clues misunderstood represent our world. Yeah. So it's almost like to participate in the world, you have to, you know... Be wrong? Ma- you have to be wrong. You have to make that leap into like, this is what I believe, this mm-hmm. is what I think is happening. And you're probably wrong, but you're going to continue going down that right. route. And I thought that was interesting because it's not just an interpretive it's not just a guide for interpreting twin peaks or you know david lynch's works more generally it's really kind of how we get on in life it's a very you know zen wisdom yeah yeah but it's very like like put that on a bumper sticker yeah exactly yeah it's but it's still you know meaningful (laughs) yeah no but you're right i hadn't thought of it that way but but it is it does kind of feel like a you know words of wisdom kind of Mm -hmm. thing for living life yeah and it could be applied to this episode for certain because um, we've got a lot of assumptions being made and the investigation is playing catch up still Mm -hmm. and there are missteps being made and even though we know it's going to end in not good circumstances necessarily um, it still feels necessary Yeah, and it still feels like this is what's supposed to happen so there's an element of fate maybe in all of this so yeah do you want to start talking about the episode? Let's do Let's that. Let's start with that first absurd scene that oh. opens up. Yeah, this is what the one thing I didn't like, but even by the end of the scene, I, it kind of warmed up to me. Well, it kind of reminded me of the Diane Keaton episode. A little bit, yeah. With the, it was too much. Everybody at the at Wally's bar. Yeah, at the, responding, hey, Doug, or whatever, or whatever it was. the name was. Yeah. Um, it, it This absurd scene of... The police officers or the, the sheriff's department and trying to get the pawn that off the, the gazebo yeah. by manages lifting it up. So well, they, they were rocking it back yeah, and forth in order back, yeah, to yeah, knock yeah. it on its side and then carry it carry out. Because we wondered last episode how they got it on there. I don't know how Wyndham Roll would have got it on there in the big giant box. Right. Yeah, he built the box around it. That's what we decided. Right, but, but how yeah. did he get? It took like six guys yeah. or seven guys to move it. On. I know. Wyndham mind it, is like a diamond. Okay, so this is what I'm saying. Like it, it, it introduces this element of like. Something weird, like yeah, it doesn't, yeah, yeah. it doesn't fit, but it's still super absurd because this whole scene, you get this background noise of these guys grunting and arguing and, yeah, and like, sawing. Hey, watch over this, yeah, yeah. Well, no, well, the song doesn't happen until uh, the they carry it over. There's like, yeah, this long droning shot, basically, of them talking and chatting. Oh, help me out here, or whatever. Um, and then it goes over to uh, Cooper talking with Truman. Yes. And uh, do we get this guy's name? I don't think so. He's just a roadie for, yeah, for the, this, the band. The band that, that <laughs> yeah. uh, what's his name? Wait, what was the guy's name? Rusty Tomaski. You got it, yes. Aiden. It only took you like six months to get a name yes. right. I wrote it down. That's why. <laughs> awesome. So Rusty Tomaski yeah. was in a band uh, and this guy, the roadie, gives his account of how they ran into Wyndham Earl. Yeah. Basically, a tire blew out in mysterious circumstances on the sure. road. Earl appeared out of the woods and invited them all back for a bruise. Yeah. And Rusty seems it. like the only guy who was dumb stupidly to... went went with them. But it does provide a bit of backstory for, you know, like I've ragged on this character 
nonstop. For Rusty? The, yeah, for the one episode. He was yeah. just in the one episode, yeah. wasn't he? Oh, man, he was just terrible. Uh, but now, you know, this provides a bit of context for everybody thought he was this stupid. Yeah. Kind of is how it feels. Right. Like, well, it, this, it, no, go ahead. No, it, it almost seems like that. Like he was, like this guy, the roadie, was like, they were. he gives the impression that they were all kind of babysitting Rusty. Like he was... Yeah. You know, they all knew about. Yeah. I don't know. It just, yeah, no, his he didn't like his parents. He was living with his uncle. They give him some background yeah. info, and it's like, yeah, maybe Rusty wasn't the brightest. Yeah. And, and, well, clearly yeah. he went off with a stranger into the woods. Yeah, but in the last episode, beer. you didn't know that, yeah, right? No. So this but we still provided thought he the was context. Kind of yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, then, but uh, during this scene is when um, we hear all that commotion in the background. Well, and, and it's it, it. yeah, the the song comes in if I remember correctly as Andy starts crying because he hears oh. about Rusty's terrible story, right. his tragic story, and Andy starts crying, and this other guy, the roadie, starts crying, yeah. and that's when the song mm-hmm. to finally cut open mm-hmm. this pawn piece happens, and that was kind of funny to me. I just yeah. burst out laughing. Yeah, it was it was a little bit. Like I said, it's just very absurd, right? Yeah. But I didn't but, like the initial thing because I'm like, they just cut the pawn apart. Why would they sure. rock it off? But then they do it eventually and to, to comedic effect. Yeah. So I was I was satisfied. Yeah. So, and then we get Cooper's ominous warning, which we've learned from previous episodes that, that you know, Windermere is playing off yeah, the board off now, the board now. Um, which seems increasingly uh, redundant yeah. because we know he's... Like the chess has, and we get a great shot in the scene where Windermere just clears off his chessboard completely. So yeah. it's it's pretty obvious. Yeah, this this episode really feels like, if, to me, Lynch and Frost both kind of came back a little bit, especially Frost, and they're like, oh, this is what you guys did while we were gone. Let's wipe the slate clean. Let's get rid of all the crappy metaphors. Let's cut up literally the chess game mm-hmm. and wipe it off the board, um, and go on with what actually makes it work, which is. Well, this the, central the, conflict yeah, between yeah. Windermere and, and Agent Cooper, which really almost every single plot, with the exception yeah. of Audrey and John Justice Wheeler's This scenes, episode, yeah. Every single plot... Is about one of the two yeah, of them, yeah. yeah. Yeah, which is really great. Like, it feels like a very focused episode yes, in that way. Yes, it does. Um, but we still get these nice little moments. Like, the, the next scene, mm-hmm. we go to the sheriff's station, and Truman bangs on the desk, says morning, or says hi to Lucy, and then Cooper does the same thing, and... <laughs> And then you get uh, Lucy and Andy having a little chat about how um, she wants to enter the Miss Twin Peaks pageant. So here's a, the first character getting a late entry f- into yes. the, the world of small town pageantry. Yeah, I guess. Uh, and yeah, she asks Andy for Andy's help on her speech about saving the saving planet. Saving the and, planet. And it's so cute because Andy's examples of things that they need to do to save the planet are so small town, so yeah. so cute. Like I do know that people have got to stop sinking their beer cans in Pearl Lake when they're fishing. Beer cans? And, um, styrofoam never dies for as long as you live. It doesn't? But it, you're right, it does feel very, like, um, like small town. Like, this is what maybe, you know, the high school printed up posters and Andy saw it and absorbed it. Yeah, and he's like, He's just not yeah. a worldly guy, No, right? exactly, but it's, it's, it's a small Lucy focus. either. Exactly. She's That's... very, like... Oh, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, she's right? so engaged. It's like, yeah, so... So they're I, very perfect for each other. Exactly. And that's why when she, she talks about how um, the next day, tomorrow is D-Day, or Dad Day, as she calls it, where she's going to choose who the father of her child is going to be. And uh, and she she makes a comment about how it could be Andy, and he smiles, or it could be Richard Tremaine, men's fashions, and Andy loses a smile. But, <laughs> I mean, it's fairly obvious that 
they're going to end up together, right? So, of course. Yeah. I don't Maybe think we need sure. a spoiler no. spoiler warning here. No, it's pretty telegraphed. Yeah. Um, so we go to the Great Northern. Yeah. And John Justice Wheeler. Yes. Is asking after Audrey at the desk. Yes. Once again, uh, asks if there's any messages from her. Yeah. He's disappointed and huffs off. Yeah. Um, and then we go into Ben's office. Yes. Where Doc Hayward is checking him out. Yeah. What's, is it? Like for insurance purposes or something? Yeah, he said something about like, his insurance yeah, needing. Yeah, they're drowning him in paperwork yeah. or something like that. And so I'm not sure what 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 that was about. Maybe just like a yearly medical checkup yeah, or something? Yeah, probably. Yeah. But it's just a, a convenience to have Doc Hayward there when this whole subplot with Eileen and Donna and everybody is is starting to build up. So And, and I, I did like this scene though because yeah. – uh, it felt like they're finally, okay, yeah, these characters have been kind of dancing around each other. Mm-hmm. But this is a chance for them to connect. And you, you get to, like, the heart of it. Because here Ben is talking about how he wants to do the right thing. And and Doc Hayward, to his credit, is like, I understand that you're trying to do the right and thing. And he's like, I believe you. Or I believe you, says, yeah. yeah. In spite of everything, he's yeah. saying, you know, I, I believe you. And, it, and Ben is really, um, I guess he's kind of... What's interesting to me in this scene is that Ben is actually trying and you got the sense that he is actually conflicted because on one hand he wants to do good and he thinks brutal honesty is the way to be good right on the other hand doc hayward is presenting a very clear case for why interrupting donna's life at this point and ruining her idea of who her father is is not going to be helpful to donna in Mm -hmm. any way so ben is kind of torn between these two visions of what's good and he's trying to thread the needle between both. And I thought that was actually interesting to see, you know, him going down this path of now having to, of this path, sorry, to um, juggle these two different interpretations of what good, the good action in this case would be when he's been evil through his, uh, through his whole well, character arc. So I think far. one of those good things is, is pretty self-serving, right? Like to tell the, the, to tell the truth in this case serves only Ben, Right. Well, so it's not it's not. Well, no, because does, doesn't Donna have the right to know who her absolutely. father really is? But I think there's a way to do it. And I feel like the way that he's doing it is not. I, no. I, yeah. So, exactly. I mean, he's, he's still a little scuzzy. About yeah. It. Yeah. And but, he's but trying. I, exactly. But, and, and, that's, I, and that's just the interesting development. Especially because I haven't really been convinced that it's a true show of goodness on his part. Yeah. Were you still doubtful after this scene, too? I still am. Yeah. yeah. But okay. I'm more. I, it's not a 50 50 proposition anymore. OK. Yeah. Um, so anyways, yeah, uh, John Justice Wheeler does enter and he interrupts there, the doc, the doc kind of gives him some parting advice. Um, and then he's Well, like, they have a little moment of pleasantry, John and, and Doc Hayward. Yes, they do. So yes. it's just another, uh, like, so Wheeler's been a part of this town or at least yeah. he knows people in the town. Yeah. Which well, he probably he's del- not. He was probably delivered by Doc Hayward just like every other. Well, yeah. So he's a Twin Peaks resident yeah. who made it out into the world. We've, we've talked about this before, back. that that the outside world to Twin Peaks doesn't really exist, right? Like, yeah. it feels like a well, very yeah, insular town. Exactly. And then his disappearance in this episode, because right away he says, uh, him and Ben sit down. Ben's trying to get his advice again. Yeah. And John Justice Wheeler says, my friend's dead and, and I have to go take his place. Yeah, he's been murdered. He's been murdered. Not just dead. Yeah, he's yeah, been murdered. he's been murdered. Like, and then that, the scene just cuts away, The scene away, just cuts basically. there. It's like, And you're what? like, what? what? He's just going to leave this? But they yeah. don't. They do come back fairly yeah, shortly. Yeah, a bit. But it's... Um, but it's, it is quite a, like, a mini cliffhanger. You're like, whoa, what? Where is that from? Yeah. And how much more information on that are we going to get? We don't get much. Yeah. Um, but it, it's one of those mysteries that's kind of setting up for a potential season three, Yeah, really. I think so. And that's, that's another... 
place where this episode kind of shines a bit. It Again, John Thorne brings it up in his book that it seems like the writers were really just like, you know what, let's just throw everything to the wind. Like, mm-hmm. just, just whatever lands will land, and we'll pick up the pieces later on, which is a very... Uh, season one Twin Peaks thing to do. Mm. It's a very David Lynch yeah. directed written yeah. episode to do, right? Yeah. Because um, they, he would insert all these things and then pick them up later if he wanted to. Yeah. So maybe this is one of those things that they were going to pick up. Maybe they'd exactly. pick up the thread later on. Maybe they wouldn't. Who maybe knows? Maybe that murder was tied all back to Twin Peaks somehow. Who knows? Maybe the evil of Twin Peaks followed John Just Wheeler to Outside Brazil. Outside of Twin Peaks. Yeah. Maybe that's what happens. Exactly. So it yeah. could have been interesting, but well, anyway. maybe it still will. Who knows? Who knows? The very next scene is in... It's weird because you don't really know where you are yeah. until uh, you get a little bit closer. There's like a fan yeah. and a window and then you're like, oh, it's an attic. Oh, I, it's the Hayward's yeah, attic. Yeah, I didn't know where it was until I saw Dawn. I'm like, oh, she's in the attic. Like, it still wasn't clear to me. But yeah, and she is looking through her... Well, it's like a, a, box, a box of... of memories. Yeah. yeah, like childhood photos probably yeah. and stuff. Uh, but she finds her birth certificate. Finds her birth certificate with the father field empty. Yes. Mm, ominous much? Well, and <laughs> but Eileen's name is also, it's Eileen Hayward on the thing. It's not her mother's maiden name oh. or anything. So I don't know if that's maybe just a bad mm. detail or maybe it's a forged document. I think you could you can make cases for a lot of different op- uh, possibilities here. But well, it's just interesting that she found it. Exactly. She, she also found, finds pictures of yes. her parents and, and Ben, ben. Horn. Very friendly looking. Yes, and great Photoshop, 1991 Photoshop. Well, it's not Photoshop. I think that was actually... I think they just, yeah, they just made them take photos. But yeah, that's the thing. It, like, uh, Ben has this terrible mustache. <laughs> yeah, and, like, like this 70s They tried to push stash. the 70s stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, So, you know, kind of awesome. it was kind of great. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, and those pictures kind of imply that even if uh, the doc and Eileen were married at that yes. point. Ben was still a, an integral part of their life. So maybe she was Eileen Hayward still, but she didn't know who, maybe she didn't know who the father is. Maybe, maybe that's what the blind find is supposed to imply because she was with both of them perhaps yeah. at the, around yeah. that time. It was the swing in 70s. Who knows? Who knows? Even in Twin Peaks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the next scene brings us back to the Great Northern and we get um, Audrey rushing in. Uh, was she in Seattle? Is that where she yes, left? Yes, she yeah. was in Seattle for... So she's protest stuff yeah or yeah yeah, yeah for the stop code yeah. ghost with them yeah. and uh so she's returned and she asks about messages and the guy at the front desk says that um no hawk is there hawk is waiting for her. hawk yes. is waiting for her in the, in the lobby and says you've got to come to the station agent right cooper now. wants you and she's like oh I'll, I'll be there in a minute i've got lots of stuff to do he's like no now yeah and she's like okay um, and they trundle off, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was interesting because this is such a dramatic departure. Like, I think season one and even first half season two, Audrey would have been like, oh, Agent Cooper wants to see me. And then yeah. she'd rush off to there. But this is like, I it, it okay, so it's a it's a, a departure from Audrey's infatuation with Agent Cooper, but it, it's also a convenient wrench in the plan or in the, yeah. the relationship of Audrey yeah. and John who are... Just it's yeah, just a series of missed other, opportunities yeah. in this episode where they like walk past each other like he's coming out of the elevator and she's left out the door and so um, so it, it plays on on two fronts mm-hmm. and then we get the next uh, a quick shot back up to the to Ben's office where uh, John is telling Ben how he has to leave and Ben is you're gonna be all right you got to do this on your own yeah. you'll you'll make it work but I have to wonder why did they bring him in to begin with. If they were going to have him leave in four days anyway, 
Well, you mean the writers of the show? Yeah. Why did they bring John Justice Wheeler in? A like, terrible and, love interest. That's no, why, honestly. Well, and I think I think the fact that he's only there for four or five episodes makes it a terrible yeah. love interest. If he had stuck around, or if he came back in the next episode, it wouldn't have felt like such a plot device. But he but is does. just a plot yes. device, right? And I mean, it's bad because here his character is finally getting a little bit interesting. He's not talking right. about love and serenading women. No. He's, well, I mean, okay, his character's not great in this episode, which no. we'll get into later as yeah. well. But, uh, you know, he has, he has a backstory now. He has yeah. something that's driving a, a bit of mystery for, around him and what's going on in Brazil. And Which, I mean, I suppose you're right, and maybe they were just trying to... You know, but uh, yeah, create I, a backstory or create a season three intrigue. Perhaps, but I think also they wanted to free up Audrey's character from having to hang hang on to uh, JJW the whole yeah, time because right. she's really interesting in the last episode. Yeah, exactly. You know? She and has a really great wind up. Plus, yeah. you know, she has to be involved in Miss Twin Peaks, which uh, Ben does talk to her about shortly. Right. So. Yeah. No, you're right. I think I think it's just uh, yeah, Peyton and Engels and Mark Frost. And probably David Lynch coming back at the end of the series and just being like, okay, let's clean let's, this up Let's a bit. try and get this going. John Justice Wheeler, your friend just got murdered. Go go back to Brazil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, you he know? got the news the last episode sure, after he yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and Cooper were talking. I guess. Um, but yeah, yeah. No, well, you didn't know what it was. He's just like, oh, get my bags packed immediately. But then he didn't leave. So that that's the other thing about this is he said yeah. he's gonna, he has to rush leave off right urgently away. like four times. He comes back in another scene where he's still in the freaking hotel. Well, okay, but no, we'll get there. We'll get <laughs> okay, there. Okay. But anyway. Um, so yeah, we go back to the sheriff's station at this point and, uh, and we've Briggs. got Major Briggs who has returned with all the Project Blue Book material. Yes. And he's directing Cappy, one of the other bookhouse boys, to look for harvest schedules and ancient calendars and curious nomenclature because that's what bookhouse boys do i guess they're, they're from the bookhouse they're learned gentlemen they're learned gentlemen but wear I, mean, it was just like, I wrote down mysterious bull tweet that's what because it, it's just like <laughs> random words oh like ancient thingamabobs and yeah, what have yeah. you like they could have strung anything together and it would have sounded uh, well, suitably mysterious but right? to be fair i mean they're staring down a petroglyph that is you know as mysterious as anything we've yeah, seen no, in the yeah, show, sure, and no. they have no idea what that's, they're dealing with. That's what with. I'm saying. It could have been anything. It okay. would have sounded appropriate, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he's been looking after Blue Book and Earl's involvement in particular. Yes. Um, and he describes him, Earl, as being one of the best yeah. uh, on the project, but also he wound up being very destructive. He got super protective and paranoid about his, his projects. And he was ultimately um, removed. Yes. Because he got too erratic and was unstable yes and uh the major then shows a very creepy video which I is i love this video i love this video isn't it, it is great so creepy and it and it yet it reveals such important plot information but it feels well it feels like, like security cam footage or something like it's zoomed in no, super well, close yeah, on his face it's like a police interrogation video yeah, yeah like, that's what i meant yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's and but it, it, but his performance is great too. Oh, like I he, know. He, he just does a great job of being like the demented, paranoid, paranoid, uh, yeah, conspiracy theorist, yeah. really. Um, but he's just he's he has that uh, emotional in, in investment in what he's talking about. Yes. Um, and so he, what does he say? These, uh, these evil sorcerers, um, dog pips, they're called. They uh, cultivate evil for, for for the sake of evil, nothing else. They uh, express themselves in darkness. Or darkness without leavening motive. Uh, 
Now this, this ardent purity allows them to access a secret place where the cultivation of evil proceeds in exponential fashion and with it the furtherance of evil's resulting power. This place of power is tangible and as such it can be found, entered and perhaps utilized in, in some fashion. The, the Dukpas have, have many names for it, but chief among them is the, uh, is the Black Lodge. You don't believe me, do you? Think I'm mad, overworked. Go away. But I thought that was interesting too because uh, it's it's the first mention of Dugpas, mm-hmm. which we don't really know much about. But which, if you uh, listen to previous episodes, we mentioned in relation to some occult symbolism, yeah. and the the term Dugpa was used in the book The Devil's Guard by Talbot Mundy. And, and actually, there's a quote that was lifted almost word for word from the book where Wyndham Earl says that these sorcerers, Dugpas they call them, cultivate evil for the sake of evil and nothing else. And the quote from The Devil's Guard is that Dugpas are described as sorcerers who cultivate evil for the sake of evil. And what's interesting is that none of the writers of the episode have ever read this book. Like oh, they, really? they claim they don't know, none, none of them. None of them have read this. Yeah, they all passed the book. They're like, well... Yeah, that must have been somebody else, else yeah, who yeah. did that. I don't remember reading oh, that. I have funny. no idea. So uh, I thought that was that's kind of a spooky little coincidence. Mm-hmm. I mean, somebody absorbed the information and dropped it yeah, in yeah, there. Because, yeah, I mean, that the word Dugpa is not something you just no, come, come up, up with. with yeah. Unless it comes to you in a dream. <laughs> but I just I just thought it was interesting that, that here we get uh, some deeper level of uh, the mythology. So it's and it, and it connects to the outside world because Dugpas are, are considered an Eastern... Um, yeah, they were connected to like Tibetan, Tibetan and Buddhism. Yeah, or I think like so. That. So or a Buddhist sect of some sort. Yeah, yeah. and and even the white and black lodges are, are brought up in Mundy's book as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we're getting those ties back to uh, some of the Eastern philosophies that maybe Agent Cooper yeah. is familiar yeah. with, but also some, you know, David Lynch's religious practices like yeah. he's involved with transcendental meditation, meditation yeah. um theosophy yeah. and and some of these more esoteric type things which really broaden the base of where you can pick from for mythologies yes, and exactly. it's not just like very specific local pacific northwestern native american mythology yeah. that you can deal with now we're dealing with stuff on a on a global scale basically. Yeah, yeah and i've had some really interesting conversations with people on our on our twitter people who who say you can find meaning in anything and it's so true and that's what's so great about it is that now we have this other avenue opening up and all of a sudden it's like a whole other world that you Mm -hmm. can pull from and and it really connects things yeah in a in a global sense that makes it even more creepy i think yeah no for sure uh so cooper then comes to the realization that earl's been basically been playing him the whole time with the chess game uh he didn't come to get revenge on cooper although that is probably part of what we think. Sure. Uh, he came for the Black Lodge. That's yeah. really what he's looking for. So, and then he's he lays it out that what we have to do next is find out how Owl Cave relates to the Black Lodge. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then the major who hasn't slept all night. Yes. Decides that it would be a fantastic idea to go for a walk in the woods. Sure. Because that On his hasn't. Way home. Yeah, yeah, that hasn't boded poorly for anybody. No, ever. In fact, he even <laughs> says, uh, or the sheriff even jokes, "Well, make sure to leave a trail of breadcrumbs," because yeah. that's exactly the kind of imagery you want to, you yeah, know, elicit. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Is, is someone getting eaten? On well, the way to but that's exactly what. Well, yeah. we'll get we'll there. get there. But yeah, it is some foreshadowing because overhearing all this through the bonsai is Wyndham Earl. Yes. 
Um, and he, uh, he, yeah, he knocks over the the chessboard. Yes, this is where he wipes out the game completely. Yes. Now they're not playing this game anymore. No. Um, and he's looking at his uh, computer monitors, right? Um, and he realizes, is this when he realizes? No, I don't think not yet. No. Okay. No. Um, He's going to go looking for Major Briggs, though. Oh, that's right. And and also, Leo steals the shot caller yes, activator. Yes, because he's starting to get... Well, it's taken him a little while, but he's starting to realize that maybe this Wind and Moore guy isn't the greatest. Nuts, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe I should defend myself. Yeah. So he takes the remote control for the shot caller. Assuming uh, that it works, you know, like a gun, not like yeah. a connection to him because he's so brain damaged. That's anyway. Obvious, yeah. We go to the Double R Diner. And we get the first really, truly weird, mm-hmm. unexplained scene. Well, not a scene. It's a five-second shot. It, yeah, barely. Where there's an elderly woman sitting at the counter, and she puts down her fork, and her right hand just starts to shake violently. And there's nothing else happens. We yeah, just, just pan, pan away, pan from, away her from her to it. Shelley and Bobby sitting in the and booth. Like, well, what, that, what was that? And there's a musical cue that, uh, that kind of gives away that this is important. This is not just an old lady whose hand is shaking. This mm-hmm. is something weird. Um, that you're supposed to notice. Yeah. But then, yeah, we go to Shelly and Bobby. Yeah. They're practicing Shelly's speech for Miss Twin Peaks. Yes. Uh, which presumably Bobby has written. Yeah. And involves kicking butt. Yeah. So obviously Bobby <laughs> so wrote Bobby that. Bobby wrote that. Um, but Shelly's a good sport about it. Yep. And she's like, I don't think she's putting her all into this, but but she's humoring Bobby. And, and then Bobby comes out and admits, yeah, I've, I've kind of not been great to you. Yeah. But he sees that his future is with her. And it's kind of a nice little, yeah. a nice little scene. Very different from the one that was scripted, where Bobby was much more. A dicky um, game. Well, kind of just in the same vein that he's been in. It's all about the money, and then they're gonna. She's gonna win Miss Twin Peaks, and then they're gonna go to Hollywood, and they're gonna. Yeah, because this is a major change in the, in Bobby's character, and this is the yeah. Bobby that I like, the one who actually cares exactly. about Shelley. It's reminiscent a little bit of the speech that his father gave him sure. in the Double R as well, right. saying, "I had a dream." Yeah. about a future, our future together, and yeah. your future, and it was a powerful one. And so here Bobby's kind of reciprocating that, saying, my own future, I see it, yeah. is with you. Yeah. That, that's kind of my dream. Yeah, and that's interesting because it does, it, it's, Bobby's gone on a, a bit of a roller coaster arc this season with starting off in that, with, in the first episode of season two with the speech from his father, mm-hmm. and winding up here two up three episodes from the end, um, and in the middle, having completely gone 1980s businessman, mm-hmm. right? So he's gone on a nice little journey. And now to come back to this this central core of goodness, which I think is important. And I really hope that that Curious bodes too. well to, for his character in, in season three. Yeah, me too. Because um, I like this Bobby. Yeah. And Shelly likes this Bobby. Exactly. And they seem happy. They're, they're just a cute couple yeah. when they're happy like this. So, yeah. But I do think that if this had been picked up for a third season in 1991, I think Leo would have come back. And oh, that would yes. have thrown yeah, a wrench into thrown things. A because wrench. would Leo have been, you know, I'm, would he be trying to get Shelly back? Would that have worked? We, well, is what he kind of a love triangle like, yeah, is, exactly, that gonna, yeah. is that going to play? Yeah. It, it, yeah. Would have been so, complicated. But, uh, yeah. How, how it's going to work in season three, we'll, we'll, we'll find, find out, out. Yeah. very shortly. Yeah. Um, but then Shelly gets a call uh, from Cooper to yes, come to the station. An urgent call from urgent off, call. off camera. Yeah. And we, we cut away to the roadhouse. Yeah. And we had a, a, a bit of a ridiculous scene between the mayor and Lana where, remember, Lana Milford has uh, basically, well, she's, she's, She's got the poor mare around her finger. Yeah. She won't marry him. Doesn't look like she's given him anything 
at all no. until she wins Miss Twin Peaks. So he is bent over backwards to rig this this contest yeah. that she'll win. And he, so he tells her that uh, Dick Tremaine is the other judge besides Norma. Yeah. And so that makes her a shoo-in because, you know, Dick's... What a dick? He, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. Um, and... But she's like, yeah, that's not good enough. I want to I want to make sure I win. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's he really pervily tells her like, oh, we'll just arrange a, a private meeting between you and Dick. And yeah, you can turn I'll on your whore charm. you out yeah. so that you can win. And Lana seems really OK with well, this. Well, I mean, she that's wants all she is. So badly. Right? Like, I'm very glad this scene is very short. Mm-hmm. Again, this feels like, OK, we got to do something with Lana as another yeah. entrance in, entrant into the Miss Twin Peaks. Let's. Do a quick scene with the her and the sure. mayor, and it's funny because the mayor is hilarious with his mom. sure, and he's he's getting well, and like, he's crying he's at crying. the end because he's like, I'm the mayor, <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't have to, to do, do this, this. yeah. To <laughs> It's it's kind of sad. Poor it, Dwayne. Exactly, and but I mean, so they managed to pull something out of it. Whereas all the previous scenes between them and everything involving yeah. that has just been really cringeworthy more right. than anything else. Now they're at least just playing well, for the it, stupidity it that it kind of adds a weird level to Lana's character too that she's so insistent like why does she want to win so badly where did she come from that she would all of a sudden be this invested in a small town beauty pageant like yeah. like it, it just strikes me as or she maybe I mean here's the other thing this is reading way too much into Lana's character but she really does believe that she's like an evil that kills every mm-hmm. man she's married maybe she doesn't want to marry the mayor because she might kill him. Maybe this is her like way of a defense mechanism from keeping that. But then happening. she wants to win. So when she wins, well, she'll have to well, marry him. Oh yeah, no, she wins and then she's like, oh no, I found I found a better looking dude yeah, down the hall. And maybe. then she goes with him. And then I think she you are reading him. into it a bit. Too yes, much. I agree. <laughs> but there are things that are dropped, little nuggets that are dropped in the secret history of Twin Peaks that kind of yeah. lend some could yeah could be looked at with a bit more detail. But we won't. Not in this episode. Yeah, that's in our special episode all about Lana Milford. <laughs> It's <laughs> not real. Don't get upset, anybody. <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, so the next scene we get at the sheriff's station with Agent Cooper finally talking to Shelley, Audrey, and Donna. Doing what we said he should be doing for the last four yeah, reps. Exactly. So they received the poem forever ago. What feels like forever ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he's finally got them all in the same room. They're putting the puzzle, the pieces of the the poem together, and he's actually doing some investigating instead basic, of following basic investigating <laughs> he asks them if they've seen anybody weird and they're like yeah each of us have oh what do you and it's odd because Donna says yeah there's a weird guy who came to my house but Cooper already knew that right because Doc Hayward had said it two episodes ago yeah. or something like that yeah so yeah, yeah so odd. is it it's a reminder for the audience that that well, happened probably. maybe she's telling it so that Audrey and yeah, Shelley will knows, yeah. you know be on the same page yeah. but um but yes, finally, you know, a good 48 hours probably or more since the danger presented itself to these three, uh, Cooper finally sets up rules. Like, you've got to check in with the sheriff, 9, 9 a.m. and again at 9 p.m. Your parents have to know where you are at all times. If you go out, to make sure you're with somebody. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, really basic stuff. This is stuff that should have been done. He didn't need to do this with all three of them. At the same time. At the same time. Uh, I understand that Audrey was gone for an episode, but... Yeah, it, it really does stretch credulity. Again, it's just, I think, another instance of possibly this is all related to just, you know, rushed writing or, or poor writing or the fact that there were multiple writers. 
but it doesn't really instill a lot of confidence in Agent Cooper as an investigator or a no. a, a lawman. <laughs> no, not at all. Or Truman or anybody. Or anybody. Like Hawk rounded them all up in 10 minutes. So why did this not happen before? Yeah, exactly. In any case. But uh, they do get confirmation that it's Leo's handwriting because yes, Shelley, Shelley figures it. it out. Yeah. So. Um, and speaking of Leo. Yeah. Uh, we go back to the... Cabin in the woods. Cabin in the woods. Yeah. And, yeah, and Earl is describing to Leo... What the, what the dog puts are. Yeah. And then... Um, oh, yeah, no, and then Leo spots Shelly. Yes, the, the cards yes. on the wall. Queen of what is she? I don't remember. Spades, maybe? I don't remember either. Uh, but, yeah, and then Earl explains to Leo, like, if she wins Miss Twin Peaks, she dies. She's the queen. Yeah. She will die. Yeah. And... Leo suddenly has, like, a, a change of heart almost or something. Well, like, he's been kind of leaning that way for a few episodes, yeah. but now he, he takes action. He's like, no, I don't want Shelly to be hurt. Yeah. So he takes the shock collar out of his bathrobe pocket and <laughs> points it at Wyndham and fires it. Yeah. Only to, of course, shock himself. And <laughs> Three then, times. Well, yeah, no, it's nonstop. Like he does it and then he's like, what happened? How did this happen? And then he does it again. And mm-hmm. I kind of laughed at the second one because I'm like, yeah, okay, it's, he's so dumb <laughs> like at this point. But by the third time, you're just yeah, like. Yeah, and he's on the ground rolling in agony and yeah. he's still doing it. To, like he's holding the button down. And you're like, oh, poor. I mean, it, but it's played pretty well because um, Wyndham goes from like fear yeah, at first, yeah. which is obviously a put on because yeah. he knows. Yeah. To laughing at Leo. Yeah. Like, and then he puts him in chains at the yes, end. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and then they set out to go find Major Briggs. Yeah. So it just, I think, underscores how completely Wyndham Earl has manipulated Leo and how impossible a situation it is for Leo the lion, who is of limited mental capacity at the moment, yeah. uh, how hard it is for him to get out of this situation. Mm-hmm. No, it's true. I don't feel bad for Leo, though, really. You still don't? Nope. He had it coming. I, Anybody who beats his wife with a sock, a piece of soap in a sock, yeah. to, like, 50s rock music, I just, I have zero sympathy for the guy. <laughs> well, so if it was 60s, you'd be all right. Well, yeah, obviously, uh, yeah. but... <laughs> he had some taste, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah, anyway. so we go back to the Great Northern. Uh, Audrey walks in, returning from the sheriff's station. Yeah. Uh, has a little bump in with Pete. Yeah, which is really cute because Pete's like... Audrey says hello to him or something, and he kind of gets this smile on his face, like, still got it. Yeah. <laughs> I so just love good. it. Yeah. Because they've never had a scene together. No, Audrey no, and no. And they're yet. really delightful together. They, exactly. In this episode. Yes. It's really great. Yes. Well, they're delightful characters. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's, exactly. just, it's just fun to see them together. Who's not a delightful character? John Just Wheeler. Yes, he comes out of the elevator having just missed Audrey again. Yes. And this is, okay, so you mentioned this a little bit earlier in the episode how he keeps missing people or missing her, and how he's been in such a hurry to leave. But when you were in, like, junior high, did you ever, like, linger at school hoping to bump into your crush of when course. they got... That's what this feels like. Well, but he's not lingering. He's, he like, he's lingering. actively trying to find her and failing. Well, yeah, but, but if I you have he, to leave, you had to leave last night. I don't so. think he had to leave that badly. I think that's the thing. Or he did have to leave that badly, and he's so infatuated with Audrey that he has to see her before because this is ninth grade. Well, I think and that's she's what... coming out of band practice, and... He's got... Wow, he really developed this. Well, I was the one in band practice in junior high. And I never had anybody waiting for me outside. (laughs) Maybe it's because I played the flute. Trust me, it was not the choice of instrument that (laughs) impacted that decision by the men in your life. I'm sorry. Band practice? Band was awesome. For you, Lindsay. You played the flute again? I did. It And the American Pie movies came out right around that time. It made life very difficult for me. Oh. There was never a point in time where I wanted to play the trumpet more. 
that could be interpreted in sexual ways as well. But oh, we will not. Uh, because Audrey walks in to see her dad, yep. who's had a major brainstorm while she's gone. Right. Stop Good Ghostwood needs a spokesperson. That spokesperson is going to be Audrey when yes. she wins Miss Twin Peaks. She just says, laughs at him. Yeah, she, I love that. <laughs> where's like, John? Yeah, 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 I'm not doing keeps that. Asking, where's, where's John? John? That's, Justice Wheeler. That's where my head's at yeah. right now. Get me some some Jack. So, she, but he does. He he says, well, yeah. he left. Yeah. Oh, well, when did he leave? Well, a few minutes ago. He had to go back to Brazil. Right. And Audrey panics and rushes out. Yeah. Um, and this is when the creepy, the right, second, the second really creepy. Well, this one really creepy. The shaking hand it comes up again later in a couple of games. It's disturbing, but it's weird. This is disturbing in like a frightening way. Yes. 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 But you it's also, jumped. I did. I jumped because Ben like turns and looks past the camera to something that like scares him. Like, mm-hmm. and there's this eerie sound effect again, yes. and he's spooked. And then it's an immediate cut. Yes. To. Just outside, uh, Pete, Pete in is in the lobby looking at the wall. The, of the well, great the mantle. The mantle, the mantle above. above the yeah. And he says, Josie, I see your face. And you Look, have to wonder, like, is that perhaps, like, it, just through the way it's cut, is you're yeah. kind of assumed that they're seeing the same thing. Yeah. Especially what, once uh, Audrey kind of grabs Pete and said, do you have a car? Take me to the airport. And he's like, well, I've got a truck. Same thing, whatever. And then he keeps looking back. At it's the fireplace. At the fireplace. Like maybe he, it sounds like he's reciting a poem perhaps to Josie. Right. But I'm wondering if he actually said, Josie, I just saw your face. What the fuck's going on yeah. right now? And he waves at the fireplace yes, too when he leaves. Yes. Which it's is odd. odd. Because Pete is not a guy that you would assume is in touch with the supernatural or any kind of paranormal shit that goes on in Twin Peaks. No, but he was connected to Josie all the time. Of course he was. So, but I'm just saying he's not, he would be spooked if he saw her face. Yeah. But it does seem like the kind of thing. Like he's a poet. Pete, yeah. Pete reads limericks. Yep. He's he's that kind of guy. Exactly. He's a, he's a folksy, you he's know, more of a checkers man. than a chess man. <laughs> but, Are you uh, sure about that? <laughs> but it it is interesting the way that they cut these two scenes. And you're right. Like the scene with Ben is terrifying because. Well, it comes out of nowhere. Well, and it reminds me of the scene in Firewalk with me where Laura sees something off camera behind James and screams yeah. right but this almost seems more terrifying because he's not quite looking at us but he's looking over our shoulders so every time I watch this and I know what's coming I still feel like there's someone behind me yeah. it's very unnerving yeah. um, for that kind of direct indirect gaze to, yeah. to penetrate the fourth wall yeah, kind yeah, of yeah exactly and then and then for like like you said a smash cut and the very first thing we hear is Josie I see your face yeah there, it. I, I really do think there's no other way to interpret that. Yeah, it's that very, they're seeing Josie. Yeah. in the hotel Tell. somewhere. Well, she's in the drawer pull. Yeah, but maybe she inhabits the wood in the general. The wood, yeah, in of the, in Great, the Great Northern. Northern. Yeah, I, so. I think that's a totally justifiable thing. So where do we go next? The sheriff station. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so they're looking at the petroglyph again, and Cooper thinks that. It's related to time. He he figures that time is playing mm-hmm. a role. That maybe this is um, telling him that the 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 date and time or something when something was going to happen, uh, like an invitation. I think he's what he calls it. Mm, yeah. And then he says uh, it's very quickly that he shifts his attention to looking out the window, probably at birds again or something. And he talks about how his mind has been wandering because he, all he's been thinking about is Annie. And Truman is there, and and Cooper says has a, a rare moment of, <laughs> well, lately anyway, yeah. of uh, 
uh, what's like the self-awareness word? Self-awareness almost. Yeah, like maybe I should be talking about this because your girlfriend just died <laughs> three days ago. Yeah. Um, whereas a few episodes ago, he couldn't have cared less about yeah. how he talked to Truman. But anyway, um, but Truman is like, no, well, that's what being in love is like, yeah. you know, and it's yeah. it's great and. He's almost like happy for him, right? Yeah. They're in the middle of this like life or death yeah. investigation, and love is the only thing on Agent Cooper's mind. Yeah, and, and it's, it's it's interesting because mm-hmm. he even describes it as a sickness. He's like, all my symptoms point to malaria. Yes, but I feel great. Yes, and and it's I, interesting because yeah. that is kind of you know, love is could be interpreted that way. Sure. I, I think, mean, you make me feel like I'm going to throw up all, oh, the, all time, the time. all the time. So I walk in the door and you're gagging. Yeah, basically. It's just, it's horrible. Well, that's just marriage. Marriage. More than, more than love. Uh, but uh, I kind of look at it the other way. That, no, this is this is something that is impacting Cooper's ability to, A, be a good agent and investigator, and B, to assess the situation rationally. Um, and I don't think that's uh, an accident. I think we'll get into this later on when uh, the final scene with Annie and Cooper. Right. uh, There are some big warning signs about what Annie's impact is, not just on him, but perhaps on the whole investigation and the whole Lodges situation entirely. Right. um, Which we can talk about shortly. But I feel like this this is kind of like malaria. He's been infected by something that is causing him to be ill and is posing a mortal danger to him. So I think it's, I think it's actually a very apt metaphor. I don't think that line was just inserted as, as a joke, even though it was. Yeah. Well, it's played, it's played as a joke, but it, but it definitely does seem like a portent of, of something. Yeah. 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 Yeah, definitely. Yep. Um, it, the scene ends with Cooper again looking out the window, oh, yes. propping open the the shades with his hand, and then his hands start shaking. And I love the way that this is played because it's so subtle at first that you just see the blinds shaking, but then his hand really starts to shake, and you think. And he pulls, but he pulls it away and, and grabs he stops it quickly. It. Yeah, yeah. And he he doesn't he doesn't look concerned though. He looks like. Well, it's a curious thing. It's a curiosity. More Whereas the woman who had her hand shake in the diner, she seemed, she seemed terrified. Yeah, she was scared. So, I mean, this is Cooper, the the investigator, Cooper, the curious, you know, Tibetan mystic mm-hmm. or whatever, approaching things with this curious open mind, looking at his hand with like... Hmm, that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but it is... It is interesting. Yes. And it, I mean, people have theorized that, okay, maybe the shaking hands are just like, there's way too much coffee consumption going on in the town, so they, everybody's got just got the jitters. Yeah, it's fair enough. But, uh, but well, no, no it's because the that, next that, one doesn't hold up to that. No, yeah. and that music cue is that, that kind of, that string. It's kind of synth, synth-y string, though. It's, it's, yeah, no, it's it's definitely been yeah. modulated in some I, way. I, I'm not, I kind of wish David Lynch directed this episode, as good as the directing is mm-hmm. in this episode. I think... Uh, Lynch would have used a slightly different sound cue probably and it would have been interesting to see what that would have looked like because this one feels kind of like almost a little too on the nose like oh my god here's something weird that's happening well yeah it's like that, that dissonance kind of screech it's like the ugly violin sound that when the kid is first learning how to play the violin that's all they can play uh, but it's been like looped and I didn't but it's I don't like remember a very, it that way because I, I thought it was more of like a, an 80s slasher horror movie sound almost well that's like, what I'm yeah it oh, is okay. it's like a very yeah <laughs> But it's so it's but it's very typically scary. Yes, right? yes. It's, Whereas it's Lynch kind unsettling, of play- but in a typical way. Yes, I yes. think Lynch would have done. Yeah, he plays with it a little bit more. It's it's not, it's not to that extreme of unsettling. It's it's mildly 
upsetting. Mm-hmm. And that in turn, because it's so underplayed, becomes more upsetting, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. which has that very unique way of dealing with that with yeah. uh, sound. So it's still good, though. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's really interesting. Um, so we're out in the woods and the major is just wandering around, touching the trees and generally being his wholesome nature loving self. Mm hmm. And uh, he's approached by a horse. Yeah, uh, walking a, through the um, woods. A very obvious, not a real horse, listeners. I hope you've watched this episode. You'll know that it's a it's a horse costume. Yeah. But Major Briggs's reaction, he doesn't. I mean, okay, put yourself in his shoes. If you're out in the woods, you know, for a leisurely Saturday afternoon stroll yeah. or Friday afternoon stroll. And the sun's shining down, yeah, everything's nice great, yeah. you're communing with nature, and you are approached by a man in a horse costume, singing. Yeah. You'd freak out, wouldn't you? But again, the major, well, the major reacts a, the same way that Cooper does to his shaking hand. He's, yeah, he's curious. Like, he's oh, like, this what is, is this? Yeah. And he and stands there and waits yeah. for him to approach. Yeah. Earl pulls out a tranquilizer gun, shoots the major with a dart, yep. and knocks him out. Yep. And then he... He reveals himself to be Wyndham yes, Earl. Takes yes. the, the hood off, yeah. or takes the horse's head off, and then yeah. refers to Leo as, you finally uh, reached your, your true calling, or yeah. realize your true calling, because he's the horse's ass. He's the horse's ass, <laughs> which is just great. That's great. It is, yeah. It's a good piece that, of writing. That is a good line, yeah. Um, yeah, and so the major collapses, and that's it. Yeah. Uh, and then we go to the double R. Yeah. Yes, and this is one of my favorite scenes. I really love this scene. Yes, this is a great shot. It's... Uh, it's Cooper and Annie, mm-hmm. and Cooper comes in, orders some food or, or coffee or whatever, and Annie's cleaning up a mess at the counter, and he starts to convince her that she should enter the contest. Yeah, he says that there's a whole world for her to go yeah. and see and stuff, yeah. And then they start talking about philosophy, and they, they mention St. Augustine, and they mention he- uh, Heisenberg, Heisenberg yeah. and, uh, and... And, yeah, it just, it's... It's flirting, but it's flirting on, like, a... It's like a different kind of flirting. It's very yeah. scholarly flirting yeah. almost. Yeah, it's like, Which is weird, but it fits. Like, it, it yeah. does match. Like You they, figure Annie read a lot of books at the at the convent, yeah, right? Sure. And Cooper, of course, is a very learned gentleman as uh, well. Absolutely. So this makes sense. And this is the kind of... This is a much better... This made me feel more attracted attraction between them than any of the goofy, it's, oh, you're so silly because you were in a convent and I'm silly because I'm Agent Cooper stuff, right. which was the I mean, crux even of the though, relationship so far. Even though they do come out and say straight up, like we're too similar and the, the conversation is still extremely stilted it's almost like they're not talking to each other they're talking at each other because the the, the lines don't follow i mean cooper's follow what annie's saying but annie just recites things back at him yeah, and they bit. don't really they don't really match the conversation there's no conversational tone to it it's almost like she's reciting from a cue card that mm-hmm. says this is what normal people say which maybe is what you which know kind of fits, fits with character, Annie's yeah. character but it also feels it it underlines that whole she's from another time and place thing she doesn't feel like she fits and it, it this is masterfully added to by the camera work Absolutely. And, and the sound design because the camera basically just starts very slowly, very slowly. Roti- uh, pulling back. Like, it's a very slow pan. And the music that's playing is this jaunty country song that we've always associated with the double, double R, R and, and Big Ed. Big Ed and, yeah. um, but but it's, as we pull further back, there's that drone underneath. It's yes. like... And it comes becomes louder and yes, louder. Yes, and the music dies away. Yes, and it just adds this incredibly ominous and eerie feeling very to tense. this conversation. Yeah. It, and it 
it feels like it's it's dissonance first of all yeah. then there's also uh the sound effects get uh distorted as mm-hmm. well so it's not just the music's being distorted um as their conversation continues but other sounds are like this the door swinging from the yes. the kitchen yes is is all warped um and yeah so it makes the it gives this whole sense of just um like this is almost not real it, it feels like almost like the start of a dream sequence the way right uh it's like they're slipping into this dream sequence as they talk right. to each other right which is interesting for, because of where they wind up later on so sure. it's just a bit of foreshadowing it feels like yeah so i mean yeah so you've got this weird conversation you've got contrapuntal music cues and sound effects mm-hmm. to go along with the the weird conversation this camera work and then it ends with a kiss as they agree to go dancing that night yes and uh even though annie doesn't know how to dance cooper will teach her um they kiss and then a load of plates drop but what's interesting is it doesn't seem like those plates were pushed off i I assume she had them in her i assume she was holding them but she she was leaning in to yeah, talk I mean, to him, so it didn't it's, seem to make sense. It's a weird thing that, that, just that would happen. And then they both look down, and it's just the plates are scattered everywhere. And we get this last close-up close up shot of syrup dripping off the plates, which reminded me of the scene in the pilot where um, the camera follows the phone cord when Leland mm. drops the phone and Sarah's on the other See, end. For me, it's more foreshadowing. I thought it was coffee, first of all. Oh, really? Yeah, I assumed oh. it was coffee that was just dripping, like slow motion. Viscous yeah, coffee? very viscous coffee that perhaps resembles, I don't know, engine oil, perhaps? Something <laughs> like that. Something more viscous than your usual coffee. Um, and so, yeah, I, that's how I interpreted it, was that, like, this is, again, to me, this whole scene is just a giant foreshadow for where we oh, yeah. wind up taking these characters. Well, even if it's not foreshadowing, it definitely is unsettling. Yes. And doesn't make you feel a lot of confidence mm-hmm. in where this is going. No. And the the other just quick interesting thing I noticed mm-hmm. is that the, their discussion is basically about uh, perception versus reality. Right. It's kind of getting back to the log lady yeah. introduction in this episode. Um, and here the, those lines are getting blurred, right? Like, right. Uh, is the sound... Uh, you know, uh, what is it, diegetic or not? Yeah. It is obviously not because it's a super creepy music. If people were hearing this, they'd be going crazy. Right. But it blends right out of the, the real world or, or what the characters are perceiving as the real world right. into what we as the viewers are viewing. So right. it's it's a very kind of, that that slow pull away is, is really, really great. Yeah, absolutely. It. Yeah. And it's, and it's, I mean, yeah, I, I've, I can't say enough about no, it. No, yeah. I just think it's yeah. so great. And and for Stephen Gyllenhaal, a one-time Twin Peaks director, to come in and pull that out. Yeah, he really nailed the feel. And to really feel like yeah. it's a, a season one episode. Like, yeah. it 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 does feel like something great we haven't seen in a while mm-hmm. in Twin Peaks. Yeah. And it's because of scenes like this. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, the next scene, however, <laughs> not so... Not so much. Not so much. There's we only get, so much you can do, I guess. <laughs> they had to close off Audrey's storyline somehow. All so right, they guys. have her in Pete's truck, barreling to the airport. On the airport. On They're the on tarmac. The, they just pull right in front of a freaking plane. Yeah, that's going to take off. Um, and she, uh, runs out she runs out and waves it at Wheeler, and he stops the plane and then gets, gets out, out. And they say their goodbyes. Well, but, Audrey yeah. says more than that. She says, I'm a virgin out of yeah. nowhere. And he's like, uh, and she's like, I want you to make love with me right here. And he's like, on my jet or something. Yeah. Insert it. Yeah. So <laughs> it's one of those like weird moments that you're kind of, 
it doesn't I don't know don't like it nope and it, I, it, especially fit. gross like she's like I don't know the the jet is like he's like it's my jet and it's like yeah your giant penis symbol like you know like <laughs> this has no this is no subtlety this is this is this is all the worst parts of Twin Peaks once again expressed here except Pete Pete is awesome in this. Yes. Uh, because he's like, he first of all, he drives her there and he drops her off. And then yeah. he kind of pulls away uh, in his truck. And then he's watching them. He watches them go onto the plane to yeah. do it. Kind of smiles. And he, like, yeah, young he's like, love. oh, yeah, young love. And he almost like wipes a tear almost. Yeah. Um, and then his hand starts shaking. And yes. And is the third and final character yes. to do that. And he also has the look of like absolute fear. Like, what is going on? Um, and that kind of redeems like Pete's little snippet at the end there kind of redeems this scene a little bit well and it almost makes it seems watchable. like it's I mean this is I haven't this this theory just came to me but mm-hmm. the, the three times that we have someone's hand shaking is when they're talking about relationships and love we get Shelly and Bobby right after the old woman mm. in the diner uh, Cooper right after Cooper and Truman are talking about yep. Cooper and Annie, yep. and then Pete, Pete when they're talking after, about yeah, yeah. Um, Audrey and John Justice Wheeler. So, mm. is that some kind of foreshadowing there that maybe because well, one yeah. of the things that and, and we can get to this a little bit later, but love is brought up in this episode mm-hmm. and it's brought up in later episodes as well. Yeah. So maybe there's an element of love as a power. Yes is involved here yes i think so i think that's what it's kind of setting up yeah for sure um but all all this scene really does for me is just again just highlight how inappropriate this whole thing is yeah this yeah that it it, you know after like three days four days three days days and one picnic and one uh pine weasel showdown um and one creepy Heidi photo yeah, mentioned, mentioned and at dinner. Like, they haven't really had a lot of time of time together, but now they're going to... I mean, okay, by today's standards, that's like 16 dates and you're practically engaged. But, like, <laughs> by sure. 1991 standards... Well, yeah, and, was, and for someone who... I mean, Audrey spent most of the season infatuated with someone else, and exactly. then this stranger comes in... And she and says she loves him. It's not like it's just yeah, sex. She's no, like, I love, I love you. you. And he says, I love you, too. And mm. I just, I, it's just <laughs> strange to me. It's, yeah. it's, if, if John Justice Wheeler had been around for longer and wasn't about to leave forever, cause this is his last scene. He does not come back. Um, if that were played better, it wouldn't feel so rushed. But the fact that it is, it's like, this is a total rebound. This is not true love. This is not someone who's going to, you know, ride off to the sunset and have a happy marriage and no. babies and stuff. Like, that's not... That's how that might work in a soap opera. And then, you know... Yeah. Soap opera dynamics would come into play yeah. and you'd have an evil twin. And they'd, Yeah. But this is not... <laughs> Maybe that's who died. The no. real John Justice Wheeler. And anyway, this is the evil twin the whole it's time. Just, it's just strange and bad. Yeah. That's yeah. all. We don't enjoy it. Uh, so we go back to the cabin. Mm-hmm. And when Numeral is doing target practice with major briggs um trying to get information out of him and of course major briggs mr major it's classified yes briggs Mm -hmm. maybe i should have said that differently garland (laughs) that's classified briggs yeah um won't tell him anything yeah so i'm not at liberty to divulge that information (laughs) except for about the capital of north carolina yes which is raleigh raleigh of course um so Wyndham injects him with something. I'm assuming it's truth, truth serum. serum. Some sort, yeah. It might be haloperidol. 
Yes, which is his preferred drug yeah. in Twin Peaks, apparently. So uh, these are things that... Um, I don't know what haloperidol does. It's for people who have schizophrenia, though. Yeah, so maybe it's so. not haloperidol. But I think haloperidol does come back to play yeah. a role later on. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and he, so he, after he's injected with it, uh, he asks Earl a couple questions. Like The first one is like, what's your greatest fear? And this right. is... A great little moment because it's very revealing of, of the major's character. He yeah. says, the "Possibility that love is not enough," um, which is just you know so telling. And, and again, uh, fits with that whole yes, handshaking thing, yes, maybe right? Exactly. Um, and of course, I love Earl's reaction. Oh, it's, you're such a wuss. Yeah, basically, basically, is what he says about Earl or about Briggs. Um, and then he interrogates Briggs further about the petroglyph. Well, we uh, asked him. He also asked him, "How much does your wife weigh?" <laughs> yeah. Which is funny. Just, just Winnemore is yeah, so yeah. badass. I just yeah. love him but hate him. Well, and this scene this is really is great because he's, he's scary. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. he's first of all the crossbow, which we know kills dudes in one shot, regardless yeah. of anything, based on uh, the what was his name? Rusty Tomasi. Tomasi. Yes. So based on Rusty, we know mm-hmm. that uh, death is instant from yeah. this crossbow. Yes, so exactly. it, it is kind of terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, he just jabs the the major with this uh, this needle, and then he's gonna throw it to Leo. Yeah, <laughs> which is also kind of yeah. funny. Um, but yeah, he keeps interrogating him, uh, and Briggs basically describes he first saw the petroglyphs in when, a dream. In a dream something. when he was taken to the White Lodge, we think. Yeah. Um, and he talks about the guardian there and the bright light, um, and then the signs. Uh, Earl asks what the signs mean. Briggs says, uh, they talk about what? I didn't get a good He says that there is a time if Jupiter and Saturn meet. And then he has a moment of backwards talk. Yes. Which... Which I didn't know what it was. I assumed he was just talking gibberish, but you figured out, oh no, it sounds like... Well, yeah, it it sounds like backwards talk. Mm -hmm. And I went to the Glastonbury Grove website and they had... uh, a sound clip of it played backwards and it does sound like he's talking about a hand or an arm or something um which maybe like plays in words. with the yeah no it's true with the, the hands the hand shaking yeah. um or the so, arm yeah right a firewalk, so yeah. uh yeah just so backwards talk coming back and then just the contents of that if you were able to decipher it yeah, maybe has some different yeah we could okay um, so you've got the backwards talk coming back and then you've got this, uh, the message of whatever it is. Yeah. Is it something that Major Briggs heard while he was there or is he channeling something that's happening right now in the lodges? Well, that's where, if it's Haloperidol, perhaps right. that's been connected to, yeah. you know, transitioning between the, the, the two, two worlds, worlds right? So. so could be. And then the Major falls asleep. Yes. Um, so the very next scene is at the Blue Pine Lodge. Mm-hmm. And I kind of forgot that this plot was happening. Yeah, me too. Uh, Catherine and Andrew are fighting over the puzzle box, yeah. which has a bunch of moon phases and zodiac signs on it. Yeah. And they're trying to figure out, you know, how do we open it? What do we do? Um, this is the first time that Catherine is showing Andrew the, the mm-hmm. box and explaining how she got it. Yeah. And, uh, and Andrew decides to try a bunch of different birthdays. He tries his birthday... Eckhart's birthday and the day that the box arrived. And that's And that opens one. the box. Yeah. Well, opens it up well, to it, another one. Yes. Is it a, is it the combination of those three or was dates, it just the last just one? The last one. It's it doesn't and I mean it's such a bad prop design yeah. too because it's not like he's he's not pressing any buttons. Buttons or anything. It just And those don't represent birthdays anyway. No. They're like just they're random just places. Random, yeah. On Yeah. I don't know what those 
There's no dates there. No. There's six things, so how can that or be? more than six. Twelve, I guess. Twelve pieces? I didn't even think there were twelve. There might have only it been ten. Make, it didn't make I didn't much pay that much attention to it. In any case, it, so... Yeah. yeah, it's very strange. But anyway, a little drawer opens up and another he gets box. another box, which is made of metal. No. We get another box, and then... Oh, right. Andrew smashes, smashes it. He's just it. like, no, fuck this. We're not doing another stupid riddle or anything. Yeah. Smashes it, and that's what reveals... Yes. It's just like a metal cube, basically. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a rectangular, rectangular prism. Rectangular prism, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Lindsay. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's just like, it looks like a solid chunk of machined metal. Like, yeah. And Catherine but Catherine's picks it up. like, ooh, like, interesting. Ooh. Yeah. What? I mean, it kind of is, because you're like, is there another box to this? Like, is this the I'd final form? I'd give up form? at that point. Yeah. I'd be like, well, screw this. I'm yeah, done. I'm done. No. I'll, do I'll it. use I'll it g- as a doorstop. <laughs> I would say, I'll get a laser and just shoot through it and find out what's inside. Sure. Yeah, that could work too. But anyways, um, yeah. So we then go to the Roadhouse again, yes. where Miss Twin Peaks has been set up. Yeah. And this There's time, some kind of festivities going on. Yeah, because the mayor shows up at one point and says it's the final night of... Final night of the Miss Twin Peaks festivities. Festivities. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Um, and then, but Annie is there, waiting yeah. in a blue dress. A very bright, vibrant, dark blue dress. Bright and dark. Bright, dark vibrant. Dark in value, but bright in vibrant... <laughs> Vibrancy? Vibrancy? Yes, I agree. A vibrant with that. dark blue dress. I will agree with that description actually because <laughs> it is striking because two reasons. It just is. It's just a very, you know, uh, kind of, I don't know, the way it's cut and it has lots of dark darkness in it, but it is very identifiable. It's like this like navy royal blue almost, um, which is just, you know, a striking color. But then you've pointed out many times in the past that David Lynch had, you know, strict standards for the use of the color blue. Um, it was not to be used except for in certain cases. Certain cases. So, so what makes this special? Yes. What is it about Annie, especially here and now, that yeah. makes this so so important? Right. Um, and I think we get our answer fairly soon. Right. So uh, what happens? The They start dancing basically, right? Yeah. Well, she tells Cooper she doesn't want to dance and she won't go down to the dance floor. And he kind oh, yeah. of coaxes her out there. Well, and then... Yeah, you said it's a very 90s well, kind of thing. Well, I don't thing. know. It's, it's like... true. It's like the guy's just going to stand there and be like, mm, I know you're coming to me because... <laughs> Because you're a woman and you'll do what I say, kind of. That's what it felt like. Uh, yeah, but in, in a kind of flirtatious, yeah. like, this is how, you know, I'm early you, yeah. new age men would challenge yeah. the, yeah. Yeah, the heroine to yeah. get out of her shell a little bit, like right. force her to come out, yeah. Um, uh, so she does, and they yeah. start dancing, and it's awkward. and. Um, but, but he has a great description. He says, dancing is just learning to step. For two people to learn how to step as one would right. step. And yeah. I thought that was actually, yeah. you know, that's a cute little. And it's not way the first time it. that he's taught someone to dance because at the at the Milford wedding he mm-hmm. said basically the same thing to Audrey. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess in Cooper's life he's a quite the trips the light fantastic. Yeah, I'll often. say so. Yeah. Now I have visions of Agent Cooper at like ballroom dancing classes. Now he takes jazz tap dance. <laughs> Fred Astaire. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. So anyway, the mayor comes on. They're, they start having a bit of a conversation about uh, their relationship and yeah. how they feel about each other. And they keep getting interrupted because the mayor comes on and tries to give a bit of a speech. And the microphone, the microphone, again, doesn't yeah, doesn't work for him. Um, and it's it's really funny. At one point, it just starts falling, and he tries to follow yeah. it down. As like, it's a great comedic moment. Yeah, yeah. the mayor's still hilarious. Yeah. And, uh, and then she gives a speech. And you thought this was interesting. I was less concerned about what she was saying than the way she was saying it. Yeah. Because she's giving this speech 
and it's a it's a poignant thing she's talking about how he makes her feel Mm -hmm. and how she feels safe with him but she's not looking at him no she's looking she's looking at the stage and it's almost like she's looking at where the mayor is standing and of course just before this they've had a, a bit of a chat about how she thinks the mayor's kind of endearing and cute and cooper's getting kind of annoyed that they keep getting interrupted so maybe she's just like her attention got focused there. Yeah. I don't know, but it seemed unnatural to me well, that she would have this kind of touching, yeah. deeply emotional conversation, one-sided conversation, talking to someone without looking at them. Well, and it's interesting because it kind of like zooms in on her. Yeah. So it's kind of the opposite of the the scene that yeah. we both like. But I I didn't mind that. I didn't find that that disturbing. Nope. Um, only because uh, it seems like a kind of a trope of like. You, you get fixated on something and you just that wherever you're looking that's where uh, your thought comes from and you don't yes. want to you don't want to break off and actually look at the person um, but absolutely it is it is it is noticeable and she she she's kind of at an awkward angle even when yeah. she's looking like it is very like it's it's not yeah. like this this was purposeful this wasn't yes. just a, a quirk no it's not like it's not I don't think uh, oh my god Heather Graham Heather Graham Thank you with names. I don't think Heather Graham came up with this. I think this was the director saying, I, yeah. I want you to look here while you're delivering the speech. And, right. And I'm going to do this with the camera. Um, so, yeah, it it's there for a reason. Um, what's interesting to me is obviously what comes next. Uh, first, what comes next is Cooper doesn't say anything to this whole speech. He kind of pulls a Sheriff Truman and he's just like, damn you're pretty and he just leans in for a kiss which again mm-hmm. I felt was very uncooper. I feel like Cooper is someone Audrey was throwing herself at him naked in bed and he just wanted to talk mm-hmm. Annie is pouring her heart out and he doesn't want to have anything to say to her yeah. he, he just wants to kiss her and treat her like a like a sex object basically mm-hmm. total inversion um, and that I think that is partially why uh, we get what happens next right so what happens next the giant appears on stage. Scene goes blank. Yeah. Except for the light a on Cooper. On Cooper, giant appears on stage. He and doesn't say anything. No. Which is interesting in the context of what you just said, where Cooper doesn't say anything yes. because the giant wordlessly waves his arms and, says, and mouths the word no. Yeah. Um, so what is he warning Cooper away from? In my mind, Annie. Yeah. Uh, and is, oh well, there was the line right before. Um, yeah, he does tell her that she's oh, his queen. Yes, which we thought was because that's a poor the moment choice. where the the, giant, the appears. giant appears, and with so so there's a lot of things going on here, and I mm-hmm. think it's it's telling that the giant appears when um, when the queen the line about the queen comes up because we've already been through several several episodes, several days of Cooper playing a game of chess in which you protect your queen. Well, and King. But yes, and King. Yeah. But, but, I mean, he's yeah. trying to protect this these pieces on the chessboard from Wyndham Earl. Mm-hmm. He knows that, that Wyndham Earl has called him the king. Now he's going to call Annie the queen. Um, Seems like a bad, just a terrible yeah, word choice. Yeah, and, and like he isn't thinking this through. Yeah. That maybe this is a problem. Um, secondly, that the giant may be warning. So is if he's warning Cooper off from Annie. In order to protect Annie. To say... That's one possible yep. interpretation, I would say, is that the giant saying, no, don't fall in love with Annie. You're going to get her hurt just like yep. you did Caroline. Right. Basically. It could also be a warning for Agent Cooper to not fall in love with Annie because you will wind up hurt. Yes. 
Um, it could very simply be a warning to Agent Cooper to not allow Annie to join, to enter the pageant, too. Yeah. So there, there are a kind of a few different levels that this works on. The other one, which is basically oh. a variation on the one of Cooper not wanting to get hurt, is... I'm going to go into it. Yeah. Annie is a Black Lodge spirit. The giant is not, and the giant is trying to protect Cooper from Annie and her role as a Black Lodge spirit. Well, yeah, and I think that, that that's been brought up in other places, and mm-hmm. it's not an original theory to No, us, no, 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 no. But it's... Um, I think it fits It with does what we've seem been to fit a little bit. If she's not... I wouldn't go so far as to say she herself is a Black Lodge spirit. She's but, from another place and time, Lindsay. But she might be... A, a conduit or something, yeah. Of a lodge spirit. Yes, very possible. And that she is luring Agent Cooper into to this. this kind of place. Which explains all the, the times when her presence has blinded him to Windemarle's presence, mm-hmm. or the fact that his mind has been wandering since he's fallen for her and he's not able to do his job and he's slipping in his abilities. Yeah. So it it does fit very, very neatly. And it and it makes Annie... I like this theory so much because... It makes Annie interesting. Yes. If Annie is just some pretty girl that Agent Cooper has fallen in love with, then she's a plot device. Yeah. That's all she is. Yeah. And I hate that yeah. because I I love Twin Peaks for having complex characters. And that's one of the reasons why I love Audrey so much because as a love interest for Agent Cooper, she was interesting and had yeah. a, a rich life, an inner life of her own. And Annie's is only really hinted at. Yeah. Maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe yeah. the reason is that she is she is a blank canvas yeah. that uh, either a lodge spirit is inhabiting or is a lodge spirit is pushing around in order to affect the end that they want. Yeah. And it makes her way more interesting as a character. Much more. So uh, that's that's it's a it's me trying to be charitable to Annie because I don't <laughs> like her very much at all. But I, but I think it I think it adds an extra element to what happens uh, where Cooper's character winds up going. Sure. So we go from uh, the roadhouse to uh, the airport. airport. (laughs) Pete is sleeping in his truck. He's waited all night for Audrey. All night. Well. Way to go, JJW. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I said, Pete stayed up for the whole bang sesh, question mark. Uh, And then the plane takes off, and that's when he he jolts awake, um, and he looks up, and Audrey's there. Yeah. Yeah. He walks out of his truck, and she kind of saddles up to him, and tears in her eyes, and she talks about how love sucks, basically, and how he was supposed to, John was supposed to take her fishing, and then Pete offers... Fishing? Yeah. Pearl Lake or something. I have some tackle in the truck. Audrey, there are many cures for a broken heart, but nothing quite like a trout's leap in the moonlight. May I? <laughs> you may. Which I think is really just so, sweet. so sweet. Pete, Grandpa Pete. Grandpa just, Pete, yeah. And like know. this is the kind of guy that Audrey needed in her life right. more. Yeah, you know, someone was, to, to be a father figure yeah, to her, exactly, really. yeah. So Pete's going to step Pete, up and yeah, very Pete, late in the game, but... He's there. Yeah. That's great. 
Um, so they go off, uh, presumably, to go fishing. I hope. Yeah. I really hope oh, that's yeah. what they did. Oh, yeah. I'm I want to sure see it. that. Yeah, I know. That would be so awesome. Too. Yeah. I'm sure they fell asleep because it's pretty late, but, yeah. you know, that's so good. Um, so then we go back to the cabin. The cabin. And this is a great, another really disturbing it's it's well shot, shot scene. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like uh, very close up shaky camera work. Um, Leo's screaming. Yeah, Leo's brain he's is like he's, he's like yeah. he's having a migraine. Is yeah. what I described it yeah. as. Yeah, yeah. Um, the major is like shaking and shuddering and like having a seizure almost. Yeah. And Earl scene. Yeah. <laughs> at the at the desk at his his computers and this is yeah where the computers come in. Yeah. He's kind of describing the painting. Uh, the, the black the petroglyph. The petroglyph, sorry. Yeah. As um yeah as as a map. Yeah, and this is where he figured he's figured it out. Yeah. And what we see is him taking the map, the petroglyph, and overlaying it onto a map of Twin Peaks. Yeah, but, like adjusting and rotating yeah. it, and in very like you can tell, Early no computer 90s. was this powerful in 1991 to well, to some do of them that might stuff. Have been, but definitely yeah, not home no. that you would have in your cabin in the woods <laughs> with no power. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So. Uh, he's figured it out and he kind of cackles and, and that's kind of the end of that. Because he says it's an invitation and a map. Mm-hmm. So we knew that it was an invitation because Cooper knew that it yeah. was an invitation. But Cooper doesn't know that it's a map yet. Yeah. Uh, and this is when we cut to a bunch of very interesting shots yes. of empty empty spaces. That's yes. how you describe them. Yeah. So where, where there's the... Uh, we get... Well, the, first, first, the giant disappears on the stage. And we get the mayor stepping up again and saying... Something wrong. This isn't right. There's something wrong here. And, and as he's saying that, his voice kind of yeah. echoes over all of these scenes of empty spaces. Yeah. And we get a shot of the empty school hallway. We get uh, uh, the roadhouse sign. Yeah. We get an empty intersection. There's just... An empty hallway at the Great Northern, just scene after scene, shot after shot of empty, empty, empty spaces. And I think that's yeah. kind of fascinating. We, we finally, we end up in the woods. And we see a circle of trees and... A circle of rocks in the middle of the Yes. Right? And as we, we kind of come up, a light shines on the trees. And we see an arm, an arm a right arm. A right arm, which has been shaking yeah <laughs> uh, a right arm kind of appear out of the darkness and well we see Bob appear yeah, Bob it's appears Bob's in arm full. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's come we out knew of... it was Bob's arm because it's a jean jacket clad arm and, and just the way he, he like twists his fingers and yes. stuff like it's very distinctive and then he pulls his hand back to his chest and the camera pans down to that circle of rocks and there's a puddle in it a puddle of dark thick yeah something viscous coffee <laughs> Maybe. And reflected in that is the curtains from the Red Room. Yes, and we hear the jazzy Agent Cooper song. Agent playing. Cooper song. Now, this is only the second time we've seen the Red Room since the dream sequence, right. isn't it? So, literally, this... This, is, this has not been seen this since... This has not been seen since episode three. Yeah. It is about to take on much more prominence, let us tell you. Yeah. Uh, and this is a great... This is a very haunting way to, to pull back. Because we've just seen... Potentially, maybe this is the lodge. We don't know, but yeah. we've seen something appear from another place yeah. into our world, and we yeah. now know where a where Bob went yeah. when he disappeared at after Leland died, and we've now seen him come back. Yeah, and that is terrifying. Well, we saw him come back with with Josie, but yeah, but, but this is a much more dramatic reentry yes. for for Bob into yes. this world. Yes, 
in an episode that is so focused. I mean, we, we did have quite a few... Uh, we were wrong at the beginning when we said that every single plot was heading towards... No, there were a couple other scenes. But, but. but I mean, most of what we saw was very tight and very focused on one thing. Mm-hmm. And that was this, this confrontation between Wyndham Earl and Agent Cooper as they're looking for this place. place. And then we see it at the end of the episode. So again, it, we get a lot of these... We, we've talked about this in, in the past where Wyndham Earl's been one step ahead of mm-hmm. Agent Cooper, but now um, we are one step ahead of, of Agent Wyndham yeah, Earl. Yeah, Wyndham Earl. So, and, it, and it adds... It gives potentially a name to what Bob is. Perhaps he's a Dugpa. Who, right. Who just, you know, cultivated evil to yeah. the point that he's able to appear between worlds and take it's over possible. people. Was was Bob an evil spirit? Was he the evil the men do? Maybe now there's a third option. He's he's just a human or who's, something of some yeah. sort of wizard who's who's managed to cultivate, cultivate evil for the evil sake of evil and and become a powerful sorcerer, which is kind of where you think Earl wants to go, right? right? So maybe that's kind of the direction it's heading. It adds a whole other and it was just it was a like I had goosebumps watching yeah. it. It's just an intensely Well, I think because of cool what scene. you said with the, the the red curtains showing up again for the first time yeah. since, yeah, the is second it, episode is it only the second? Is it only the third episode? Is there been no other visual cues since then? Wow. Because, so it, yeah. It's like, it's very, yeah. I mean, well, we've seen red curtains, but we haven't seen the red yeah. room, right? Yeah. And, so. and it's interesting because up to this point, it's been a dream. It was just something in a dream. Yeah. It wasn't a real place. Yeah. Um, yes, you saw Bob there, and then you also like you. Well, you didn't see Bob in the red room, but you saw Bob in that dream sequence, yes. and then you see Bob later on. But but now we have now Bob we have showing up in the real world from this red room, ostensibly. Per, yeah, perhaps. Yeah, I mean that's what we're led to believe. Yeah. And then and so yeah, the the first time that the red room makes an actual appearance in our world or yeah. in the world of the the show. So it is. It's just such a such a dramatic and powerful way to end what is a really great episode Mm -hmm. i think this is the first truly great episode episode since since leland died really i think so none of the other ones have come close to this so so this is what we were talking about all those episodes where we were like season two gets better (laughs) this is the first one unfortunately there's only two left and actually i don't remember but I don't remember liking the second to last episode because it was very focused on Miss Twin Peaks. Sure. And then the final episode is where things get like weirdly crazy. So awesome. Yeah. So our next week's episode is going to feature. uh, Well, we're going to be releasing both of the episodes at the same time because that's how they were released. That's how they were released. So we're going to do them in two parts. Mm -hmm. uh, Episode 29 and then episode 30 and or episode 28 and 29, depending on how you count it. Yep. Or, or 27 and 28 Peaks. of season two or whatever no, 20, it is. 21, 21 and 22, 22 season two. Yeah. Yeah. Or we'll call them by their titles, <laughs> damn it, in German. In German. But uh, but that's how we're going to plan on releasing them. And uh, yeah. so you can enjoy them as they were originally aired and then finish Ooh. off the series. Yes, and then we'll have Fire Walk With Me and then we will have... Season three. Season. Yes, so we are... Hopefully you'll stick with us mm-hmm. and that we've got more goodies coming up ahead. Oh, yes. This is, we had to fix this. This is a terrible ending. That was a great ending. It's really bad. If you're enjoying the show and want to join the conversation, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash bickeringpeaks, all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter. That's at bickeringpeaks. 
or you can head over to iTunes and leave us a review or a comment. We'd love to hear from you.